Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in Dapper Dank of Austin, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm mischievous Mark Giannacchio, and I too own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, but Dan, now and always and forever, the annuals Welcome to do the Amazing count. Spider-Talk, everybody, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange fun and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us as always for one of our review episodes of the amazing spider talk, the review episodes that have been coming in hot and heavy because beyond will not take a break. Beyond is moving beyond the usual release schedule, Dan, that's for sure. If you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present and future, Subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app. Every other week, we put out a mainline episode of our flagship show, and sprinkled in between, we review new comics as well as interview some of the greatest Spider-Man creators of yesterday and today. So this is the perfect time to start listening. What's new? Well, Dan, as we implied, today on the show, you and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 5, Number 88, entitled Beyond, Chapter 14. Really feels like Chapter 40, but that's okay. Uh, This issue was written by Zeb Wells, with art from Michael Dowling, colors from uh, Brian Belenza, a cover by Arthur Adams, of course, and Alejandro Sanchez Rodriguez, and letters by VCs Joe Caramanga. This issue was first released on February 2nd, 2022. Dan, why don't you tell us a little bit how the issue played out? Yeah, Mark, uh, this was a fun one with a lot going on, so I'm going to do my best to summarize it here. In the wake of Ben's memory rewrite, Maxine spends her day shoring things up with Beyond, lying to Ben about Janine, interrogating Marcus, pushing the board of directors to approve her Halifax protocol, and getting her first glimpse of the new Ashley Kafka now that she's been exposed to the sins of Norman Osborn. She's become the frightening Queen Goblin, not to be mixed up with the Goblin Queen. No, this is the Queen Goblin. I wonder if we could see a battle between those. I'm the Queen Goblin. No, I'm the Goblin Queen. Ah... At the Daily Bugle, Mary Jane meets Glory Grant and introduces her to Janine, who has quite the story to tell about Beyond. Ben, while suiting up, expresses indifference to a technician who talks about sticking it to bullies. 
You know, it's clear now that a great deal of Ben's memories no longer exist because the bullying thing, I don't know how this technician knew about it, but it seems pretty core to who Ben and Peter Parker are. Meanwhile, Maxine interrogates Marcus and admits that the Halifax Protocol is a code name for Beyond Supervillain Department, which is used to trigger heroes and allows for a smokescreen, which allows Beyond to sell products of a questionable nature. Then, Queen Goblin breaks free, killing the technicians with her mace, which nobody could have foreseen, and races towards the Daily Bugle. There, Janine voices her jealousy that MJ and Peter were able to live the lives that she and Ben seemed to be barred from. Then the Queen Goblin shows up and wrecks the building, all in a quest to destroy the drive, which she promptly does. Maxine locks up Marcus and sends Spider-Man to confront the Queen Goblin. Ben then is able to save Janine and suggests that saving MJ is, quote, not his problem, end quote, before jumping out of the building and leaving MJ alone with the Queen Goblin in a, I think, actually pretty great cliffhanger there. So uh, I'm pretty excited to see how that ends. I mean, all we all we needed was him buying some chocolate milk, and I really would have felt lack of responsibility there from Ben. So. <laughs> Perfect. So let's get into our discussion of Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, number 88, Legacy 889, as we race towards 900. Mark, tell us some of your overall thoughts about this issue. This was definitely a setup issue, kind of, I feel like, setting up like the third act of this arc here. It's funny, this is one of those comics, you know, it always pays to read something more than once if you're going to give it a, an actual review. One of the things that this podcast is, has has changed for me, Dan, uh, versus being a <laughs> first read. On first read, I was kind of nonplussed by it. It just felt very set up-y. Not a lot of going on here. Some thing, you know, some character turns where I was like, okay, I get it, but like some some elements lacking for me. That kind of changed on a second read through the drama and the build more, like you said, really good cliffhanger ending here. You know, again, we're back in the hands of Zeb Wells. It's no secret. He is the driver of this arc right now. And this is probably why he will be writing Amazing Spider-Man following the end of Beyond. And I, I thought Dowling's art was, was pretty solid. I, I liked the the overall depiction of the Queen Goblin and what's called her the Goblin Queen. I think we're in a good place here. I'm excited for this third act. I remain, as always, impressed with Zeb Wells. I mean, you're right, Mark. This is largely a setup issue. It is the transition issue into the third act uh, of this story, or at least what I hope is the transition into the third act, because we've been fooled by third acts before, which is where these stories genuinely trip up. And you can see some of the seeds of, I think, things that scare me about third acts of big Spider-Man stories being laid here. I mean, not just the appearance of a goblin character, you know, the idea of a like larger than life force that's controlling everything. But I actually think in regards to beyond, that's kind of what this story needs. I think if, if beyond was left as just like a corporation doing petty things, it would have been a little lackluster and that stuff is kind of all laid bare here so we can finally accept what we've known for a long time. But what I like is that Zeb lays the seeds for like a structure that is far deeper and richer than that. And we'll talk about that in a little more detail, but uh, I thought that was a good play by him. It still allowed to kind of surprise me and intrigue me a little bit. And then I just like the kind of structure of the issue itself, how, we have this kind of hourly schedule of Maxine's 
And I feel like that character was fleshed out a lot and made far richer. And I agree with you. I think Dowling's artwork was really strong. I think he's a lot better with the characters out of costume than in costume. Some of his action is a little bit stiff. And I think he has a hard time with Ben's costume, which seems to be kind of thwarting a lot of the artists on these books where they can't really handle that, that weird, you know, angled spider on his chest. This is as solid as, uh, as setup issues come. So I, I was fairly pleased with it. Yeah. And, and, and we can get into some of the specifics with Maxine later on, but I, I do want to kind of add to your point. Like I, I thought telling this story, if not entirely, but mostly from her perspective was, was an inspired choice in terms of setting her up as like, I think the overall big bad of this arc. I mean, I know that that's kind of been clear for a while now, but like, I feel like this issue really sold the idea of her as like the true antagonist here for what, for everything that's going on and, and kind of not necessarily upping the threat, but upping the interest in her as a character. Well, you know, let's just get into it. Like, you know, we're talking about it. Um, you know, Maxine and beyond, like you said, I think are the driving force of this issue. And what I like about it is the reveal that, you know, there's there this evil corporation that's kind of playing both sides of the equation as we've kind of long surmised. I think this issue does a really great job of like portraying that in that not they first set that up, but then we see those kind of chess pieces moving, right? We've got Ben and and Queen Goblin, both who retain some of their personality, but really are just acting at, as the at the behest of this company almost soullessly as a, as a smokescreen for them. And I think, you know, it's a great example of set something up and then show us it in action. You know, the, the kind of emotional distance that this issue has to its events, I think is intentional, right? Like we are seeing like the corporate structure playing out. It's funny, you know, for all these years, you know, and we're almost up to our 60th year of Spider-Man, you know, Norman Osborn, who I think is kind of like the quintessential corporate corporate villain in, in Spider-Man's rogues gallery. I mean, you know, obviously what's always kind of undermined him to the point that, you know, we did an entire like three year arc about it was his his insanity and his 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 inherent evil. Whereas Maxine kind of has that vibe, but like it just seems far more calculated and, and, and meticulous and in control of her emotions. And, you know, I love there was this one part where it was like, you know, she's talking to the board. I will accept full responsibility. And then the very next panel, if you know, you, you're all responsible if this doesn't work. And, <laughs> and, like, and as someone who works a corporate job, that just rang so true for me. You know how the things get kicked back and forth. I don't want to say it made me interested in Maxine for the first time of this arc, but it but it really hooked me into the character as kind of being the driving force here, which I don't know I could say the 13 previous chapters here did as successfully. So I, I think that was a job well done here. Yeah, and I'm really interested in this board of directors for Beyond. Like, who are these people? And there's the implication that this assessor character that was, you know, if you're not, re- if you're not reading Miles's book, He's been a major character in that in that title for a long time. I, I would say almost too much. Like it's the kind of thing where Salad and Ahmed realized he had created like an actually interesting villain for Miles, but then like not only doubled down on it, but tripled, quadrupled down on it at, to the point that it's kind of worn out its welcome a little bit. I think tying him in here to beyond and something larger than who he was, which is kind of this almost soulless computer villain that just 
is trying to assess Miles and his villains to make them make copies of them. It fits right into Beyond, and in a way, makes me go, "Oh, okay." Like I was, I'm okay with how much time Solid and Ahmed is spent on this. If this is going to tie into some larger Spider-Man wide thing, that put a that put a smile on my face a little bit. I I got to admit because I thought that character was kind of played out, and here I'm like, "Oh, that's a perfect place for him to fit in." And definitely, like, we got, like, some, like, Bond villain level orating here. But, like, again, like, it was, I feel like this was a well-done narrative here. You know what I mean? Well well done exposition. Like, you know, like, like you know, you see something like Halifax Protocol and, you know, there's a part of me that, like, initially saw something like that and, like, oh, God, are we about to get into, like, secret scrolls here? Like, you know, <laughs> but they explain it, you know? It's like, well, there was this thing. <laughs> So, like, you know, it's a little silly and corny, but at least, like, they kind of laid it out exposition-wise so, like, we're not just, like, hitting, repeating hot terms here and, and, and seemingly going nowhere with it, just kind of relying on MacGuffins to, to pull things through. So, I, 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 again, liked the structure, liked how, for a setup issue, they just kind of laid all of the pieces out on the board and, you know, kind of gave you a sense of where this might be going. And, you know, Mark, I am not going to miss an opportunity to, to shout out editor's notes. Like I was, I love that this called back to siege and they actually like made mention of that. Like, okay, like go read siege if you want to see this in action. And I didn't go and read siege to see if it actually tied in. And there was a Halifax. I'm taking it at their word. You know, I love I love it anytime we can acknowledge like history of something that isn't super niche, right? Like, but like could point you in the direction of of investigating it. Yeah, Siege was fun. You should reread Siege. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I didn't after this, but maybe I will now. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you think of this new villain? I mean, I, I, just to get into like the kind of collecting side of things, I know that issue eighty eight became this really hot item for the first appearance of the queen goblin, which surprised me at this point. You know, I don't remember this kind of like fervor over the goblin queen or the king goblin. I I don't remember any of that kind of stuff back in the slot run, but red, red goblin was bananas. Yeah. was a banana. That's true. That's true. Putting aside the, the, the collector's element, which I mean, like, frankly, I feel like the whole, total sidebar here but thank god i completed my collection when i did because if i was trying to complete my collection during this pandemic dan i would be bankrupt by this point based on how (laughs) crazy prices have gotten were you able to get this one really easily off your shelf i mean my shop had to take kind of like emergency measures they pulled subscriptions for the issue like i went on the website to make sure that i was going to get my copy and they wouldn't let anybody uh, add spider-man to their sub or their box because they knew that uh, speculators were going to dive in there. So I'm like eternally grateful for my shop for being that conscientious. I I know you've had some struggles with like collectors in the past kind of swarming things. Yeah, no, I got it. No problem. But it's funny, like now that I now that I think back, I didn't see any copies of this book on the wall when I walked. Like I usually kind of, you know, go in, check the wall out just to make sure like there's nothing else up there that interests me and then go pick up my box and get out. So, yeah, I didn't see any copies of this on the wall. So, like, when it came in my box, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. This is here. Like, usually, like, there's, like, one or two variants behind the counter. Like, I I got, I still feel like this was, like, a really good pickup for me. But years ago, with, with the Red Goblin craziness, I got that variant cover where it kind of details the the design of the Red Goblin. And, like, that's 
worth a pretty penny now. <laughs> um, given... <laughs> yeah, especially considering he started on our show. Like they, it, it was weird that they didn't include notes about our show on that cover. I feel I, a little slighted. I, I know, very true. But the point being was like, yeah, like now that you mention it, like I got my copy no problem because I'm a longtime subscriber through my through my LCS. But like I could see if like you were just someone kind of walking in off the street that it would have been challenging because they were clearly trying to hedge against speculators on this, on this book for sure. So for sure. Yeah. So what do you think of the character you know, beyond all the speculation? I mean, it was fine. I mean, like it, it's kind of, you know, like I appreciated. So like, I, I know like things were spoiled and like the way the character's talking, it's clearly Dr. Kafka, but like, did they confirm I'm trying to think back now. Did they confirm 100% in this issue that it was Kafka, or are we just making that assumption now? I think they refer to her as Ashley at some point. I don't know if it's actually confirmed, but I don't think you're meant to guess. Like, I don't I don't think it's a mystery. Okay, fair enough. I mean, point being is, like, like I enjoyed the Kafka elements to the character. Like, you know, this idea of, like, the psychologist gone mad and kind of using the, you know, her knowledge of her patients as kind of a cudgel against them in a very violent disturbing way you know the the i thought the design was was pretty cool all things i like the mace like i was like that's a cool that's a cool weapon for a goblin like you know like and and just like yeah the 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 overall insanity of the character i mean like i don't quite understand how the sins of norman transfer to her make her this way i mean you could have just like here a goblin serum and she's crazy i mean i you know what i mean like there's some mechanics here where i'm just like was that necessary or could we have just gone the old school route of you know here's a vial of serum now you're crazy bye thinking back on it did, did we ever find out if norman was depowered by losing this but losing his sins like did he i i think he was right so p- part of that is like the goblin sins and insanity does the question i would have then is like does she know peter's identity ipso facto you know like does that transfer i mean there's a lot of things to figure out i i agree with you i love the mace it just reminds me of like green goblin meets fire lord yeah yeah it's it's a very kind of old school you know medieval weapon and and it just it, it it works for the most part you know there's some things that are kind of clunky about the design do you want to kind of get into any of that? I don't want to steal your thunder here. I'm looking at notes Oh, here I mean, I like, I don't I don't know if it's my thunder more than, like, I think the visor is kind of silly, like the Cyclops visor. I mean, it's it's fine. It's just weird that it's depicted differently on the cover than the interior artwork, and it suggests to me that, like, maybe her does, design will evolve. But then that gets to the question of, like, is this supposed to be a secret uh, character? I don't really I don't really think so. And I don't really know that seeing the eyes of Ashley Kafka would really signal me one way or the other. Yeah, I, I, I like the design overall and the medieval armor and stuff. The, the visor throws me off a little bit. And the gadgets are fun. I love that her like uh, goblin glider can split off into parts and go after Spider-Man. That's cool. And I love the line where she says, I just want to see your brain. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not here for any of you. I'm just, I just want to see your brain, which is like, yeah, like, again, like this show is complete and utter evil insanity and chaos. And like, that's what works in a, in a, in a goblin villain, in my opinion. So, you know, kudos to that. So yeah, yeah. Overall, it was an impressionable debut. How about that? Is that, is that a nice flim flammy way to phrase it? (laughs) 
Yeah, and it doesn't really feel like a huge gimmick, and 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 I like that too. Like so, th- there was definitely some thought to the characterization. Why don't we take a, a a quick tangent here and talk a little bit about the slack? Well, hundreds of listeners like you, Dan. I know you are a big big slack guy. You hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on the slack. The amazing Spider Slack community is absolutely free to join, and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting, conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. Yeah, I think the Slack has kind of quieted down in the wake of No Way Home, but it's still a lot of fun on there. There's been a go- good thread going about, like, uh, as we work our way th- reading, rereading through Ultimate Spider-Man, and we've all had a discussion about some of our favorite all-time Spider-Man villains, which is like an eternal discussion, and I don't need to weigh in because we just did three episodes on mine. But, um, yeah, you know, come join our Slack. It's so much fun. Uh, it's just a a group of fans that are all very positive and supportive as we collect comics. And I think one of our listeners uh, just finished collecting everything from issue 200 up. So yeah, that's the Spider-Man spider slack. There's a link in our description that will direct you to join. You know, you don't have to be a Patreon member. It's, you know, although we'd love that you can just bounce into the slack and you'll meet a bunch of great Spidey fans. I think we crossed our 400 members threshold this week there's just a lot of uh, activity going on there so come on and join our slack all right dan let's get back to the issue here uh let's talk a little bit about the supporting cast because in addition to kind of fleshing out maxine some more i feel like especially since it was a peterless issue we got a lot of the supporting cast here we got the the reappearance of of Old time great glory grant, you know, daily bugle stuff. I mean, like this is this is it, you know, am I am I in the Roger Stern era again? What's going on here? <laughs> I mean, you know what? I, I and I hate to couch everything that we talk about in these issues by talking about the future. All these Zeb Wells issues and even those Jed McKay issues, for the twenty one pages that we're getting, you know, we've often said it's way too little to tell like a compelling Spider-Man story. But I, I, I think that these books are better paced than they've been. Like these single issues have, are better paced than they've been in a really long time. And I'm really enjoying that. Like, yeah, okay. We don't have Peter, but we have enough Ben and Maxine and we're getting the supporting cast and all of it feels really organic in the way that like they're tied into the main story without feeling like I'm just arbitrarily checking in on these people just because I got to keep their stories alive. I think that goes to say like the idea of doing this kind of beyond story that has a definite beginning, middle and end helps with that kind of stuff. There is a real benefit to that. And I think uh, this gives me a lot of faith that Zeb Wells, when he's writing the, the title proper, you know, we'll, we'll be able to balance that stuff really well. I appreciate that. Like we do get Spider-Man, but most of the issues not focused on that. And I think it's a really, these are well-balanced issues in in that regard. We got good stakes from Janine's peril here in terms of like the drive getting destroyed and the fight. Like, you know, like, like I had that moment, you know, I felt like, uh, going to call back a completely different piece of media here. Uh, Jesse and Breaking Bad. How does she keep getting away with this? You know, like when watching, <laughs> uh, watching, you know, the drive go go down in flames. Well, not literally flames. Kisses get crushed because it's like, yeah, that was that was kind of, you know, and then when you see Ben and where and where his character goes in this, it, 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 it's definitely like a double gut punch here to feel like that that cause is lost. So, you know, good, good, good use of Janine here and like her peril. 
Yeah, and speaking of Janine, you know, like, I mean, we've been getting these kind of like uh, MJ-related confessionals, you know, in that Mary Jane and Black Cat issue. But here I've liked this kind of, you know... um, I still am unsure how much Janine actually knows MJ and how much this text really played out in the clone saga in that I hadn't read it in years. I really like the idea that Janine admitting to MJ, like kind of being jealous that her and Ben never got the life that Peter and MJ have had. Not that it's been like all roses, but like I think back to stories like the final adventure where they were truly allowed to go off and do, you know, well, they, the idea was they were going to be allowed to go off and, and, and do their own thing on the West Coast. I, I wonder if that script is going to get flipped for Janine and Ben by the end of this story. I thought it was a nice character beat that she would see Peter and MJ as like the world allowing them to exist while not allowing her and Ben to pursue their relationship. And then, of course, like, you know, talking about peril, like big, big, the, the cliffhanger we keep talking about, which is, you know, Goblin having MJ cornered and and Ben and, and Janine skipping town and you know like like this is a you know like hey the friend the friends are the friends are in peril here and you know what's 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 a Spider Man to do we're obviously not going to get it from the Beyond Spider Man so we're going to have to rely on the the actual Spider Man Peter to show up I mean like it's a good organic kind of whoa like what are we doing here with our you know like is, is our supporting cast truly doomed I don't know I liked it, it, it I mean of course they can undo all this by faking it and showing in the very first page that MJ's totally fine, kind of like what we got during the Kindred arc. I'm hoping that's not the case here. I hope that we have some true drama here, like it's set up for some true drama. Yeah, I mean, if it is truly Peter going on his own, he's going. we, we have already seen that he's likely going to be very outclassed, you know, in the state that he's in and with this new villain. And I think that's exciting. Although the cover shows... Black Cat getting involved here, which I think is also cool because that's been very well set up. Yeah, I mean, this is a great kind of cliffhanger. And I just really like this depiction of Ben. I kind of wish that we had gotten here way earlier. Like, imagine if Beyond started and Ben was already like this. Like, I think it would have been a really interesting hook. I, I don't feel like I know enough about Ben's stance on Beyond to really feel the hard turn of this, but it it still is appropriately devastating to see this character stripped of the things that make him Spider-Man, even if it's like his memories of being bullied or whatever. It is, it is appropriately cold to see him leave MJ behind and be truly the corporate stooge at this point. I, I thought that was pretty exciting. It's not even so much that I needed to see this from him earlier in the arc, but like, it just felt like, you know, he was riding this level of naivete and kind of obliviousness to everything beyond. And then we had really just one half of an issue of like him being in like, you know, DEFCON 1 in terms of wanting to just completely scorch the earth with them. And then this. So like I, like, I feel like this is a build that could have been executed a little better. I wanted to see more with Ben kind of coming to the realization and then watching him get reset to zero it would have been, I feel more dramatically done if, if they went that route, you know, like it, it would have felt like more of a gut punch instead. It's just kind of like, Oh, okay. I, I just like how much we're trading on things. Like we got in the beginning of the Nick Spencer run where like the idea of, I mean, we, I mean, obviously it's a core theme of Spider-Man, this idea of power and responsibility, 
I think we've had something similar to this recently, whether it be superior Spider-Man or the start of the Nick Spencer run where the Peter and Spidey were split up and you had this Spider-Man that was just kind of looking out for himself. But this feels, I think, a little more organic than that. I think it's a really exciting kind of twist for a third act. Yeah. Well, if the covers aren't lying, which we can't guarantee they're not, but like, you know, we are going to see soon if there's a, there's clearly a cover depicting a Spider-Man fight. So, you know, I have a feeling that's where we're going. But hey, like it, it, it certainly seems to make sense now. Do you want to get into a grade on this or do you have anything else you want to touch on? Well, I thought we could maybe mention, you know, we're talking about issue 88 here. There was an 88.bey that came out. And I don't really want to spend a lot of time on this one in the way that we talked about the Mary Jane and black hat issue, just because I, I think it's not nearly as good as that no. issue. I mean, less, but, less jokes about yeah. people's asses in that, in this one too. So, you know, <laughs> I'm kidding. this one mostly follows like Hobie Brown, who it seems editorially, the goal is to move him away from being the prowler because that character it maybe is better served being Miles's uncle. And so Hobie has taken on the role of everyone's favorite, the Hornet from the Slingers, which, you know, a, a, I would say largely forgotten nineties team slash mini series that was born out of the Spider-Man identity crisis. But then is kind of, I think really escaped Spider-Man shadow despite kind of wanting to play in it. They showed up in the Ben Riley run written by Peter David from a few years ago, but I would say we're largely forgettable there and weirdly written. I don't know, Mark. I found this relatively inoffensive, but like also seeming like a grab at my money and an attempt to maybe spin off into a series that we might never see. Is that yeah, an accurate portrayal I, I th- of this? I think that's accurate and fair. I mean, you know, like this you know, we were offline. I, what I had said to you and you seem to kind of be in alignment here was this kind of reminded me of the, uh, the Morbius issue at 699.1 where it just felt like, I'm like, why are we getting this right now? Like this, this like, you know, we're in the midst of this really high octane arc. You know, obviously this is not necessarily disrupting the flow of amazing Spider-Man. It's, it's like a offshoot one shot issue. It, that's just kind of connected to the numbering. I don't know how else to put these point ones. Reading this in succession with with eighty eight, I'm just like, so what? You know what I mean? What are we? What are we? What are we doing here? I I really don't care about these characters right now. I want to get back to the Spider Man and Ben story. Whereas like, like at least the MJ and Black Cat issue felt much more aligned with that arc. I mean, obviously the Doc Ock Aunt May one was. I mean, to the point that they kind of. Revealed something that maybe should have been done in the main issue, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> but I mean, but this, this, I, I mean, this is, I think this was even further off the reservation than the, uh, Misty Knight and Colleen Wing issue, uh, point one issue. Like this was just kind of out of nowhere for me. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, I think really like, I, I didn't find the issue terribly offensive more than I'm just like, I, there's no consistency in the point ones anymore. Like, 
to the point that that kind of makes you have to buy all of them lest you miss a major beat. And like, that would be my major thing is like editorial. I would really love it if you could, and, and maybe it's by design that it's not consistent, but it, it seems to me like more, I would love some consistency so I could know like how to, you know, for, you know, approach it with the, like my mindset, you know, like, Oh, is this just something I can enjoy as a spinoff or, you know, should I really invest? This is going to be a valuable piece of this puzzle going forward. And look, I, you know, I might be wrong. Maybe the slingers show up and they're the Han Solo that comes in at the end of a new hope and saves Ben Riley at the last minute. I think that would be really unsatisfying after reading this, it's like, ah, this just seems like a way for them to test the waters of whether or not people would be interested in giving the slingers a new series. And I mean that I can't imagine a title that I might have less interest seeing get a mini series in this day and age. I also am the guy that would show up day one for a Razorback mini series. <laughs> so there are, there are fan clubs for any variety of character and, I know that our our like old colleagues uh, Matt and Kane used to talk about uh, slingers fondly. So, you know, there is an audience. There is an audience. I think the kind term would be a cult favorite. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right. So, um, skipping past the grade on eighty eight dot bey, want to get into grades on eighty eight? Yeah, um, I, I'm going to go B plus for this, which is like I think probably almost two grades higher than what I would have went if I had reviewed this book after the first read. So I don't know. Take that for what it's worth. What about you, Dad? Yeah, this one's a B plus for me too. A really solid title that has me excited for what comes next. Look at us in alignment, Dan. That never happens on this show. Never, never. It's never once happened. Well, hey, if you're if you're in alignment with us, maybe not even reviews, but in how much fun we have doing this show and, and you consider it entertaining and valuable, you know, we would love it if you could find a way to support us. I mean, we're not begging you here, like, but it would be very helpful. We love doing the show and, and we love making our community bigger of all these people that love Spider-Man and approach it in a way that uh, we think it's positive and fun. So uh, the best thing you could do is really to recommend Amazing Spider Talk to your friends. You know, we want to, you know, grow our community here. But, you know, if you really want to help us out, we would love it if you became members of our Patreon. Yeah, we can only bring you the content with the support of our Patreon members, and we owe this show success to every single one of them. And also, Dan, we are constantly making exclusive content for our Patreon members. Yeah, so why not take $3.99, the price of a new comic, and put it towards a month's subscription to support the show and start receiving our Patreon content? Maybe you skipped that .bey issue, like, hey, guess what, take that money, and you can throw it onto our Patreon, and I promise you, it has more value than a .bey issue. Although I can't, I guess I can't really promise that. Some of them are actually really valuable. And the Slingers could be the Calvary, as you described, Dan. So you know, yeah, we we never know. But um, one thing I do know is that if you subscribe to our Patreon, you'll get these review podcasts of every new issue of Amazing Spider-Man the same week that they come out. Uh, to the best of our ability, we usually get it the same week instead of waiting for it to arrive in our public podcast feed, which is about three months late because we align it with the unlimited. So if you're someone that goes and picks up an amazing Spider-Man off the shelf, you're going to want to be a part of our Patreon. 
Absolutely. And if you contribute $10 a month, you gain access to exclusive artwork from famous Spider-Man artists commissioned exclusively for our members. Plus, every episode, we release a new episode-specific desktop background created for us by artist Nick Cagnetti for our patrons to enjoy. And boy, are those uh, backgrounds really amazing. But uh, we know it's a hard time for everybody, as it is for us, too. So we appreciate anyone who supports the show just by listening and sharing. In fact, the only thing not impacted by inflation seems to be comic prices. So I, I, I remain I remain uh, hopeful that we'll stay at $3.99. But if you do have the means, please be sure to join our Patreon to support the continued existence of our show. Follow the link in the description. It'll get you there. You can see all the options and jump in. And we'd love to have you as part of our friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club. And again, a thank you to all the members who already make our show possible. Yeah, Dan, but alas, it is that time time for all good things to come to an end so we want to say thank you to you the listeners and viewers for tuning into this episode of the amazing spider talk yeah our episodes can't come together without the help of a bunch of people specifically rick coast who is our editor we also received production support from my good friend andy myers who designed our live stream and our artwork comes handcrafted by some of our favorite artists, Ron Friends, Sal Busema, and Ray Sumzer. Our theme songs were produced, written, and performed by Ryland Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. So, Mark, until I'm injected with the sins of the mysterious mailer that haunted me for years, and I become a sort of queen annual, as opposed to the annual queen. Well, queen, yeah. Yeah, what, what's our motto? Well, Dan, I mean, that's quite the setup. The, the, the motto is, <laughs> with great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. Don't, don't miss the next in-